Greetings and welcome to St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church here in Fredericton, New Brunswick on this lovely Father's Day. Leading worship today will be the father-daughter duo of Tim and Christina Blum. Our prayer of approach is by Jacqueline Howie Cleland. Our artist today is Angela Black. Our organist, choir director, music director, and pianist is our beloved David Berry, and I am the Reverend Susan Brazier. Please join me now in our call to worship. We gather in this place to worship our God, calm presence in our time of confusion. We gather with fellow pilgrims as we seek to follow Jesus, brother to those who are swamped by fears. We are brought together by the Spirit who travels with us on this up and down journey we call life. foundation of the universe, building a shelter for our battered souls. You create wonders which are priceless, yet you always remember the needy. We open our hearts to you, God of graciousness. When evening comes and fears prowl the shadows of our days, you whisper, peace, be still. To our hammering hearts, so we know that you are always with us. We open our hearts to you, dearest friend of life. Doubts and despair may swamp our lives, but you calm us with a word. Illness and death struggle to control our futures, but you comfort us with peace. We open our hearts to you, spirit of hope and grace. We open our hearts to you, now and forever. Amen. Well, poor old Goliath, he thought he was the best. Poor old Goliath, he was taller than the rest. Poor old Goliath, he didn't pass the test. On the day that little David knocked him down. Are you ready for the score? Jesse had eight sons. David was the youngest, 
and his job was to take care of failing sheep. For reasons no one remembers, the people of Philistia and the people of Israel were always fussing and frequently at war. One day, the Philistine army marched into Israel. Will go and fight the giant. 
Saul replied, You can't fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, I have been keeping my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. I have killed both the lion and the bear. Goliath will be like one of them. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul, attempting to help David, dressed the boy in a coat of armor and fastened a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword and tried walking around, but it was no use. David was too little, and the armor was too big and heavy. I cannot go in these. So he took them off. Then he chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the giant. Goliath looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy. He said to David, Am I a fellow that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed him. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into your hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine. When the Philistines saw what happened to their hero, they turned and ran all the way back to Philistia, and all the Israelites went home. Can a young person really 
peace is through battle. Where poor old Goliath, he thought he was the best. Poor old Goliath, he was taller than the rest. Poor old Goliath, he didn't pass the test. On the day that little David knocked him down. Many, many years ago, a millennium or two, lived an unfriendly giant with a cranky attitude. Leader of his army, the Philistines by name, marched against the Israelites and met them on the plain. Well, the Israelites were terrified, they cried and shook with fear. Goliath challenged good King Saul, find me a volunteer. If I win your land, you forfeit to the rulers of the sea. If I lose to Israel, wisdom and wonder, send us your Holy Spirit to guide us as we listen for your word. Teach us through what we hear and inspire us to act with the courage and compassion we meet in Jesus Christ, your living word. Amen. 
Our Old Testament lesson today is from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 to 49. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David in his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the water and put them in a shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you have come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. 
Our Gospel reading comes from the fourth chapter of Mark, verses 35 through 41. Listen now for the word of God. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is a word of God for the people of God. As you know, for the most part here at St. Andrews, we follow the lectionary. But the scripture readings for this Sunday, the David and Goliath story paired with Jesus calming the sea, has me feeling like I'm on an episode of that popular cooking show, Chopped Kitchen. I've just opened a basket of mystery ingredients, only to discover that I have a chocolate cake, a bunch of radishes, and bubble tea, and I'm supposed to make an entree? I feel a little like the disciples in the boats, or the Israelites on the mountains, being taunted by the mighty warrior giant. I'm uncertain that nine months of ordained ministry is quite adequate for this task. So, please pray with me. We know that when we cry out to you in our trouble, you will be with us and bring us through our distress. Calm the storms of our hearts, minds, and lives, that we can hear your message. Amen. Much of this sermon owes a lot to the work of Malcolm Gladwell in the book that he published about six years ago on David and Goliath. Located in a mountain range on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea are the ancient cities of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and Hebron. This mountain range eases out into the coastal plain where Tel Aviv is now, and connecting the mountain range with this coastal plain are a series of valleys and ridges called the Shephelah that runs east to west. I have been told that the Shephelah is some of the most beautiful parts of Israel, full of oak forests and wheat fields and vineyards. 3,000 years ago, when the Kingdom of Israel was in its infancy, the Shephelah had real strategic function. It is the way that armies from the coastal plains could make their way up into the mountains to threaten the people living in that region. And 3,000 years ago, that is exactly what happened. Along the coast was a nation known as Philistia. They were mercenaries and they were renowned for the quality and craftsmanship of their weapons. Archaeologists have also discovered that they were quite skilled in the production of fermented beverages. Originally from the Isle of Crete, 
they were a seafaring people. These Philistians, or Philistines, were the greatest threat to the ancient Israelites at that time. They made their way through the valleys of the Shekelah up into the mountains because they wanted to occupy the highland area near Bethlehem and split the kingdom of Israel in two. Saul, the first king of Israel, obviously caught wind of this. King Saul brought his army down from the mountain and he confronts the Philistines in the valley of Elah, one of the most beautiful valleys of the Shephelah. And the Israelites dig in along the northern ridge and the Philistines dig in along the southern ridge. And these two armies just sit there for weeks and stare at each other because they are deadlocked. Neither side can attack the other because to attack means you have to come down from the mountain and into the valley and then up the other side and you are completely exposed. So finally, to break the deadlock, the Philistines sent their greatest warrior into the valley and he calls out to the Israelites, send your mightiest warrior down and we'll have this out, just the two of us. This was a well-known tradition in ancient warfare called single combat. It was a way of settling disputes without incurring the bloodshed of a major battle. And the Philistine who delivered this challenge is a giant. The Bible says that he is almost three meters tall, although I've heard several historians suggest that he was maybe only a mere six foot nine. He is outfitted head to toe in glittering bronze armor. He has a sword, he has got a javelin, and he has got his spear. It's like he cleaned out all the best stuff from Weapons or Us. He is absolutely terrifying. And he is so terrifying that none of the Israelite soldiers want to fight him. It would be a death wish. There is no way they think that they can take him. And finally, the only person who will come forward is this young shepherd boy. He goes up to Saul and he says, I'll fight him. You can't fight him. You're a kid. This is a mighty warrior. But the shepherd is out. No, 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 no. You, you don't understand. I have defended my flock against lions and bears. I think I can do it. And Saul has no choice. No one else has come forward, so he says, all right. He turns to the kid and says, but you've got to wear this armor. You can't go as you are. He tries to give the shepherd his armor, and the shepherd says, no, I can't wear this stuff. The Bible verse is, I cannot wear this, for I have not proved it, meaning I've never worn armor before, and, and, and you've got to be crazy. The boy reaches down, picks up five stones, puts them in his shepherd bag, and starts to walk down the mountain to meet the giant. And the giant sees this figure approaching and calls out, Come to me, so that I can feed your flesh to the birds of heaven and the beasts of the field. The shepherd draws closer and closer, and the giant sees that he is carrying a staff. Uh, that's all he's carrying. Instead of weapons, this is a shepherd's staff. And he is insulted. Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? 
And the shepherd boy takes out one of his stones, puts it in his sling, rolls it around, and lets it fly. And it hits the giant right between the eyes in his most vulnerable spot. And he falls down, either dead or unconscious. The shepherd boy runs, takes his sword, cuts off his head. The Philistines see this, and they just run. So David, in this story, is supposed to be the underdog, right? In fact, the term David and Goliath has entered our language as a metaphor to the improbable victories by some weak party over someone far stronger. So why do we call David an underdog? Well, we, we call him an underdog because he's just a kid, and Goliath is this big, strong giant. We also call him an underdog because Goliath is an experienced warrior and David is just a shepherd. But most importantly, we call him an underdog because Goliath is outfitted with all this modern weaponry, this glittering coat of armor and a sword and a javelin and a spear. And all David has is just his sling. Just his sling. That may be where we make our mistake. In ancient warfare, there were three kinds of warriors. There's a cavalry, men on horseback and with chariots. Then there is a heavy infantry, which are foot soldiers armed with swords and shields and, and some kind of armor. And there's artillery. And artillery are archers and more importantly, slingers. A slinger is someone who has a leather pouch with two long cords attached to it, and they put a projectile, either a rock or maybe a lead ball, and they whirl it around, and they let go of one of the cords, and the effect is to send the projectile forward towards the target. That is what David has. And it is important to understand that this sling is not a slingshot. It is not a child's toy, in fact, it's an incredibly devastating weapon. When David is swinging the sling around, it is estimated that it probably would have been at a rate of six or seven revolutions per second. That means that when the rock is released, it's probably traveling about 35 meters per second. That is substantially faster than a baseball thrown by the very finest of baseball pitchers. More than that, the stones in the Valley of Elah are not normal rocks. They were barium sulfate, which are rocks twice the density of normal stones. If you do the calculations on the ballistics, on the stopping power of a rock fired from David's sling, it's roughly equivalent to the stopping power of a 45 caliber handgun. This is an incredibly devastating weapon. Experienced slingers could hit, maim, or even kill a target from a distance of 200 meters. We know that slingers were capable of hitting birds in flight. They were incredibly accurate. When David lines up, he's not even 200 meters away from Goliath. He has every expectation and every intention of being able to hit Goliath at his most vulnerable spot between his eyes. If you go back over the history of ancient warfare, 
Slingers were sometimes a decisive factor against infantry. Goliath is heavy infantry, and Goliath's expectations when he challenges the Israelites to a duel is that he is going to be fighting another heavy infantryman. When he says, come to me that I might feed your flesh to the birds of heaven and the beasts of the field, the key phrase is, come to me, because we are going to fight hand to hand. Saul has the same expectation. David says, I want to fight Goliath, and Saul tries to give him his armor because Saul is thinking, oh, when you say fight Goliath, Saul is thinking he means to fight him hand to hand in combat, infantry on infantry. But that is not David's expectation. He is not going to fight him that way. Why would he? He's a shepherd. He has spent an entire career using a sling to defend his flocks against lions and bears. That is where his strength lies. He is a shepherd experiencing the use of the devastating weapon against this lumbering giant weighed down by 125 pounds of armor and incredibly heavy weapons that are only useful in short-range combat. Quite honestly, Goliath is a sitting duck. He doesn't have a chance. So why do we keep referring to David as an underdog and his victory as improbable? David, this adolescent man-child, is often described as having captured the heart of God. I've often wondered why. You know, David makes his share of mistakes and poor choices. Perhaps it was because he was musical. God enjoys when we make music. David had a certain confidence and swagger. Confidence is always very attractive. And David had a remarkable ability to redefine challenges, to not allow others to define the battles that he faced. But most of all, regardless of what happened, good or bad, David was faithful and he relied on God. David knew as he walked down into that valley that he had to kill the giant. And he knew God was with him. He had all the resources he needed. On the boat that night on the Sea of Galilee, that was what the disciples didn't yet realize, that God was with them too, literally with them. God's identity in Genesis is first revealed when God tames the chaotic, violent waters by speaking all things into being. Calming storms on tumultuous oceans is a kind of, well, it's kind of God's calling card. It's a favorite party trick. Jesus stills a violent storm by speaking and rebuking the wind. This story, among all the stories, is just one more way that we recognize that Jesus is God incarnate. How many of us feel like we're drowning, battered by bad news of life, just one wave after the next, until we just cannot endure anymore, until we finally cry out, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? And just like David in the Elah Valley, God is right there with us. The disciples on that boat were not perishing. They were adapting, they were experiencing something new. 
just like David. They already had exactly what they needed. They just didn't know it yet. The difference between David and the disciples is that David already knew that he was showing up to a fistfight carrying more than was required. He was with God. And for this, God loves him. We are not alone to face the storms and the giants. God has prepared us with all the resources we require. Sometimes we need to be willing to reconsider our goals and reassess what we've been equipped with. And even if we lack the swagger and confidence of adolescence, it's okay to cry out, Oh God, don't you care that we are perishing? And to let the Almighty calm the storms and to speak to our hearts. Peace. Be still. Amen. Please join me in the prayers of the people. God, in whom we live and move and have our being, as we consider the world around us in your presence today, we are grateful to know that you are near and that your presence will not fail us no matter what challenges we face. We are aware of so many challenges in our own lives and in the lives of those we care about and in the world around us. We wonder how you will reveal yourself, your mercy, and your love in response to so many different needs. Help us trust that you will never give up on situations which we find ourselves and find ourselves being overwhelmed. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In faithful silence, as we lay before you the concerns on our hearts this day, we pray for those situations which deeply concern us and for all those lives who cry out to you for help in situations we can't even imagine. We especially lift up to you today our friends at AIDS New Brunswick as they mourn the loss of their friend, Rick. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are suffering from illness of any sort, coping with the pain and ongoing treatment, for those waiting for or recovering from surgery, for those who are bereaved or burdened by some significant loss, and those struggling with the economic hardship in these uncertain times. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are waiting for something significant, a birth, a death, a trip, a visit, a phone call on Father's Day, a move, a new job, or possibly retirement. Grant them patience, O oh God, in this time of restless waiting. We pray for all family relationships on this day, for those for whom today they will celebrate with their fathers with brunch and baseball, and for those who will grieve the divide that death separates. We also pray for families who grieve for the loss of a child. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
We pray for the work of our church and our government in pursuing truth and reconciliation with Canada's indigenous peoples. Empower this work, O oh God. Bless our congregation, its ministries, and the faithful work of all churches in our community. Unite us in our witness to the love of Jesus. Open the eyes of all. Open the eyes of our hearts to new possibilities to serve together as we pray together. The words that Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is a kingdom the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, go out into the world in peace. Have courage, hold on to that which is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Oh,